Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocket Nation's football podcast. I am Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK. Kylie, this is Before the Box Score. Uh, we are done with Alabama, although we'll touch on it a couple more times in this show, but we are full-blown into Tennessee week. Um, second show of the week coming at you for free. You are welcome. I hope you enjoy it. BK, uh, what has changed in the past couple days for you? Uh, not too much, man. I was able to rewatch a few things from the Alabama game. I have a piece that should be, by the time that listeners are hearing this, I would imagine it would probably be either posted or close to being posted, uh, focusing on Jalen Knox and the usage that we saw from him on Saturday. If there was a bright spot from that game, it was him. He was yeah. awesome. Eli Drinkwitz did a fantastic job of getting him involved in the game. Um, that is something that I would expect to continue moving forward. There was one other thing that I wanted to touch on really quickly here at the beginning. Eli Drinkwitz had a press conference earlier today. We're recording this on Tuesday night. And at the very beginning, he complained about some of the questioning that the media had for him, or more specifically, for his players after the game on Saturday. I just want to say very quickly, the questioning was 100% fair. Kiki Chisholm had three targets in the game. He had two receptions in the game after every single player that we heard all offseason say, Kiki Chisholm's the best player on this team. So <laughs> if that's going to be what the hype is all offseason, yes, there are going to be questions about, hey, why wasn't he more involved? And when Kiki Chisholm is available after the game, yeah, he's probably going to be asked, hey, what did you think about the fact that you had three targets after the game? Not a huge critique of Eli Drinkwitz overall. Thought he did a good job on Saturday, but that was one thing that stood out to me about earlier today. I was a little surprised and disappointed with the way that he went about that. But otherwise, got plenty to talk about today. Nate, how you doing, man? <laughs> I'm good. What did he expect? He literally brought up Kiki Chisholm in the summer sessions. Everybody we asked for, you know, standout player or breakthrough player, everybody said Chisholm. What, what did you expect, man? Like that that's that's the thing that I don't understand is like if if you are afraid of those questions being asked for whatever reason, then don't make Kiki Jism available. Yeah. Make Jalen Knox available, make Damn. Sean Robinson available, make Larry Roundtree available. I understand all of those. If you don't want Kiki Chisholm to talk because you don't want him to be asked the question about, which is the obvious question, mm-hmm. why did he only get two two tar or two receptions, three targets, and finish the game with twelve yards? Well, there's one way that you can make sure that that question is not asked, and it is by not making him available. <laughs> Otherwise, he's going to be asked. There you go. Yeah, man. Hey, look, media is not your enemy. Media just asks the questions that we're, you know we're going to ask. Uh, it has to happen that way. So it's like uh, it's like being friends uh, or associated or married to an attorney, right? <laughs> they're going to ask you questions, and you're going to be mad because you didn't think of it yourself. But that's why they're there, to ask those types of questions. So, And the other thing is, like, fans want to know, why didn't Kiki Chisholm get the targets? And I said this on the show on Saturday to you, and I still believe it to be true. I think we're going to see him get way more involved on Saturday. I fully anticipate first series of the game, there will be a manufactured touch to Kiki Chisholm. That's going to happen because, first of all, now he's out in public defending his player <laughs> and Kiki Chisholm has been asked publicly, why didn't you get the targets? Mm-hmm. So he's going to want to get that guy involved. We all know from what they said all offseason that he's a very talented player. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be just fine moving forward. They went up against Alabama and he wasn't very involved. Yeah. If that happens again on Saturday, then I'll start having some questions. But in the meantime, I'm not too worried about this. Yeah. I agree. I suppose that could just be part of his frustration. Like, look, it's Alabama. What did, we weren't going to be able to do anything. But still, he brought it up, so 
Well, there you go. Life and times of covering a football team that, that took a big L. That's okay. Um, so, yeah, we are we are trying to move on from Alabama, but we got a couple of things, obviously, with uh, the bright spots that we're looking for. It's what we've talked about all off season. Like, don't look for wins and losses. Look for little things throughout the game. Um, and I dropped the beyond-the-box score today. Uh, after watching the game approximately four times and just wiling so many hours away on this stupid game. Um, I On Saturday, right after the game, I spoke pretty highly about Connor Basilak. And I still think the kid is pretty good, uh, but he was not quite as good as my eyeballs told me on Saturday. So I might be coming down to earth a little bit more um, than what I was previously putting out there. So he had, uh, he threw what was 14 passes, I believe is what it was. Yeah, 14. He had a successful pass play on six, six of those plays. So, you know, if you do the quick, easy math on that, that's a 42% uh, success rate on passing the ball, which is basically, it's about, Sean Robinson was at 48, so it's a little bit worse than that. But, Success rate is basically measuring, hey, if you do something, does it actually get the yards that you need? And uh, Sean Robinson actually ended up being a lot better throwing the ball uh, than Basilek was. And, of course, you know, Basilek took a sack, and, you know, he also ran for a touchdown. But I don't know. I'm kind of maybe pumping the brakes a little bit on the coronation of young Connor uh, after <laughs> a little deeper dive on the on the game film here. Yeah, and this is kind of what I said after the game as well. I, I do think – in terms of the way that the offense is moving, like the feeling that you get as a fan while you're watching it, you feel more calm while Connor Bazelik is in the game. Mm-hmm. He he looks like he's in control of the offense, and then he stands in there. He is kind of more of your prototypical pocket passer, and he's going to try to fire and hit the target with timing and rhythm and anticipation. It doesn't work all the time, but that's what he's <laughs> that's what the plan is, right? Sean Robinson is much more of, we're going to figure this thing out. And I'm not sure where it's going to go. I'm not sure how it's going to end up. But uh, more often than not, I would say it ends up kind of working out for him. Uh, And this was against Alabama. So I would expect that it would work out at an even higher rate against the lesser competition that we're going to see. Uh, Rewatching specifically the Jalen Knox targets. Mm -hmm. um, Robinson had a few nice throws actually in this game. A few that I probably didn't give enough credit to on first watch because you're just in the middle of things, right? And everything's so surprising and you're just watching it in the middle of everything. He he did make a few really nice throws in that game. One in particular that stood out to me was um, it was basically a scramble drill. So the, the pocket was kind of pushed into his face. So the interior of the offensive line got pushed back into Sean Robinson's face. He avoids the sack. He's able to roll out to his right and he's looking downfield. He keeps his eyes downfield, which is a good thing. I liked seeing that. And Jalen Knox comes open inside of his own and he delivers just a dart Mm -hmm. right where it needed to be between Mm -hmm. two defenders. Uh, Knox picks up another two or three yards on the ground before getting tackled and it ends up being a first down and that was on like a third and eight that he was able to complete that so it was a big play that's a play I don't think Bazelik makes no. and so that's the type of thing where you kind of live with some of the bad that you get from Robinson to be able to get that type of the good the other one that really stood out to me I like that one a lot the other one was in the third quarter it was fourth and four and very similar situation. There was pressure coming at from one side. It might have been right up the middle. I don't quite remember. But he climbed and shot it right in the middle of the zone to Barrett Bannister for 12 yards. Um, another one of those, like, 
okay, I can see I can see your upside here. Yeah, I mean, you can you can run for, you know, six times for negative 9 yards and that's not great, but like you see some of his eyes down the field, reading the zone correctly, being able to rifle it in when he's needed or add some touch when he needs it. Like he he's got the talent to do that sort of thing. It's not, you know, he wasn't a blue chip by accident. Uh it's just Number one, he didn't have a lot of consistency at TS- TCU, and number two, he was going up against Alabama, so mm-hmm. it's tough to it's tough to get a solid read, but you can see flashes like you were mentioning there. Yeah, he he had his moments, and he also had his moments where he didn't look so good, but that's how it's going to be against Alabama. And as long as you can get some of those bright spots, this is what we said last week going into the game. You just look for the bright spots. Look for <laughs> something that is going to give you a glimmer of hope going into the future. And I think there were enough of those on Saturday that you can kind of feel good going into this weekend's game against uh, Tennessee. One thing uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of end Alabama with a bad and then a good. Um, so the bad would be I'm keeping track of defensive secondary targets this year just to see who's responsible for what. And like I said in the piece today, like I I don't know defensive schemes. I can't look at the field and tell you who's playing zone and who's playing man or what combo covers they got. Like, okay, give me a break. What I do know is that if you're close to a player, that's probably your guy. Um, so what I did is I went through all the passes that Mac Jones and Bryce Young threw, and then whichever defender was close, I just assigned him blame for whatever happened so whether you're playing man uh, off the line the entire time or the receiver drifted into your zone of control if either of those two things happened i you get their credits or <laughs> the blame for whatever happens uh so you ended up uh, 30 passes i think is what i was able to track out of the 32 that were thrown um the guys who did well are kind of what you expect uh Jarvis Ware, who was barely in, but um, you know Tyree Gillespie, Joshua Bledsoe, uh, Nick Bolton did all pretty well as far as minimizing the the damage that a completed pass would do, or making sure that the passes don't get completed. Um, the guys who struggled were obvious. It was Ishmael Burdine who came in to to relieve Jarvis Ware and young baby Enos Rakestraw. Uh, Burdine was targeted seven times. Five completions, 98 yards thrown on the young corner. And then, of course, Enos had six targets, uh, and he his man completed four of those passes for 59 yards, plus a touchdown to Jalen Waddell. So that's not great, but Steve Sarkeesian, the Alabama offensive coordinator, saw Jarvis Ware go down, saw Ishmael Burdine went, go in, and went, yep, and just started targeting that kid relentlessly so it's not totally Burdine's fault he was really thrown into the fire but it was not a good game for him yeah I I always struggle with this because I, I don't like criticizing college kids but he had a really bad day on Saturday I mean a, a really bad day and a lot of that is just as simple as I mean the kids going up against and we mentioned this Saturday as well He's going up against two future first-round NFL picks at mm-hmm. wide receiver for Alabama, and he has basically zero experience at this level, mm-hmm. and he gets thrown into the fire because the starting cornerback goes down very early in this game. Not his fault at all. No. But he struggled. And so this is why after the game on Saturday I said, that Jarvis Ware injury, if it is anything serious, it's a problem for Mizzou because they have no depth whatsoever at corner. Because if Burdine is your number three corner right now, and he appeared to be, he got, I think he actually led the team in cornerback snaps 
Some of that, I think, is because Rakestraw got kind of banged up during the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. But he led the team in snaps, which seems to indicate he's ahead of Adam Sparks on the depth chart right now. Birdine is. Yep. If, if he's your number three corner and Sparks is your number four, I, I don't know who number five is, but you, that means that they're not as good as your number three <laughs> or number four corners. Um, and so you... You really have no depth at the position right now, and they need Jarvis Ware back in a really bad way. I love their depth at safety. Yeah, I really yeah. like their linebackers right now. At corner, they are very, very thin. The further you get away from the center of the field, basically, the thinner Mizzou's defense is right now. Yeah. They're thin at the ends, and they're thin at, at corner. At least at corner, they've got a guy or two that I feel pretty good in. Jarvis Ware, I think, is really good right now. And Enos Rakestra, I think, is going to be really good. Defensive end, though, yeah, well... Yeah, and like, look, a couple of guys. you would, we, I'm not going to speak for you, but I kind of am. We all prefer Burdine to be starting over Sparks. Sparks is here for this year and could be gone, maybe come back, I don't know. But point is, Sparks has been here for four years. You want a younger guy starting over him. Mm-hmm. It means things like this happen, <laughs> where you get targeted seven times directly, give up five passes for 98 yards. This is how it works. Um, I don't know if you remember this from like 2000. 2011 or 12, Ole Miss fielded almost an entire freshman defense. And this was when I think Trent Richardson ran for 80 yards and then did a little leg fake on a corner who like fell just head over heels for the fake and like was so embarrassed that he just like ran off the field and ran into the locker room (laughs) afterwards. That kid turned out to be an all SEC player his senior year. Like this is how – it sucks to play in the secondary in college. Like there's just no, there's no way around it, but you need to get these kind of licks in. So you improve. So yes, Birdine did not have a good game, but you need to have a couple of bad games to start figuring out how this thing works. So this is good in the long run. just sucks for right now. Yeah. Um, another thing that's a little bit questionable to me or something that I find interesting is that Birdine was a safety in high school. As yeah. Well. So, yeah. Um, he, he's playing a new position at a entirely higher level than what he was playing in high school, of course. Mm-hmm. And he's doing so in his first game where he gets real reps against Alabama, who has the best wide receiver core in the country. So it, if that's as bad as it looks all year and it, it should be <laughs> as bad as it looks yeah. all year, yeah. um, then the curve from here should get a little bit better in terms of learning curve for him. Um, but the, the first game was rough. That that was a rough one to start with for him. And I, I do feel for him because that's that's as tough of a matchup as you're going to see. And he, he struggled. He really struggled that first game. But, I mean, the good news is, other than Alabama, I mean, what's the next best passing game? Maybe LSU? Florida, probably. Florida. But, like, Florida's so reliant on Kyle Pitts, their tight end. I don't think Birdine's yeah. going to be covering him. Um, maybe Georgia, but you know, George Pickens is going to draw Jarvis Ware. Mississippi state at the end of the year, maybe. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I mean, that's, that's, that's probably state. the next one, but that's the final game of the season. I mean, we're talking about December yeah. at that point. So you know how I think it was Barry Odom or Eli or, uh, excuse me, or Gary Pinkle, like by November, they say that the freshmen aren't freshmen anymore. Yeah, you can't be a yeah. freshman anymore. So yeah. at that point he should have so much experience that, the youth is less of an excuse or an explanation than it is right now. And remember, the thing about Mississippi, well, Mississippi State now, but Mike Leach in general, is that he never changes. He he <laughs> runs like two plays. He runs four verts, where basically every receiver just runs down the field. And then he runs like a little post, 
route with the tight end that sometimes, you know, tries to bust the zone. That's basically it. You get a couple screens or a couple hitches here and there, but like it's not a complicated offense. Jimmy Lake, who was Washington's defensive coordinator, now their head coach, he said he loved playing Washington State because he's like, we don't have to change a thing. And like they just beat the hell out of him year after year after year. By the time we get to November, we're going to know exactly what a Mike Leach offense is if the SEC guys don't know it yet. So I'm less concerned about Mississippi State. Yes, I realize they threw for 600 yards on LSU. Um, but that that would be another tough challenge. But yeah, by November you need to you need to know your stuff. So yeah, on that note, on Mississippi State, somebody tweeted on Saturday: Mississippi State's offense is 100% the exact same scheme that Washington State ran last year. No new plays, no new formations. Chris Brown, who's a really good follow on Twitter as mm-hmm. well, he's at Smart Football. Um, he replied to that by saying a quote that he once heard from Dana Holgerson, who said the best thing about Mike Leach is that he doesn't change bleep. <laughs> <laughs> And that's just that he is going to be Mike Leach. He's going to run the Mike Leach offense. And that's why so many people had questions uh, to kind of expand this a little bit about what um, Cliff Kingsbury was going to be as a head coach in the Mm -hmm. NFL is because can you win that way if you don't change things once you get to the league? And the answer is no. You're not going to be able to win against NFL coaching by doing the same thing as often as Mike Leach does. However... Cliff Kingsbury has evolved and he has adapted to his personnel and he does not run the same things each and every week, each and every year. And so that's, that's one thing to kind of keep in mind about some of the guys that come off of that Mike Leach tree is they evolve. Mike Leach, however, does not. (laughs) The last thing I liked about the Alabama game, and this might seem petty or stupid, but whatever y'all went through the Odom regime with, with us, right? We were all there. We all know the deficiencies. How many penalties were called on Missouri? Against oh, Alabama? that's a good question. I don't know. It was three. Few, yeah. Three. Sean Robinson had an illegal forward pass, which if you even want to count that as a penalty. Uh, Mike Maietti had one holding penalty that negated one of Jalen Knox's awesome catch and runs. Yeah. And then Trey Williams absolutely demolished Alabama's kicker on an extra point. <laughs> Actually, he and Ishmael Burdine just sandwiched the dude. So that was it. That's 20 yards of penalties. You know, I said in the preview that this game, if this was an Odom team, you probably would have lost by 55. They would have lost by 55 while giving up like 75 yards of penalties. They didn't have that. They didn't have that this year. So it's one game. I understand that we can't draw long-term conclusions based off of that, but y'all can hate it if you want, but I was impressed with uh, the beatdown that we got. I thought there's a lot of good little things that were happening there. I, I don't want to make too much of this because in the end – like you just said about that. Does it matter? No, because they lost. But I did like the mentality that Eli Drinkwitz had at the end of that game, too. Connor Bazelux in the game. You got your backup quarterback in there. And you're down by, at that point, 38-13. to 13. Mm-hmm. What you do on that final drive does not matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but Eli Drinkwitz took timeouts because he wanted to score. Yeah. He wanted to score a touchdown. He wanted to see what those guys had. And those guys did not quit in that no. game. No, no. I know we'll probably get some pushback and people will be like, yeah, you should never quit. I understand. But you're playing against Alabama and you're down 38 at the time to 13. And there's when they started that drive, two minutes to go. It's very easy. And I think the previous coaching staff would have either kneeled it out there or just run the football really quickly. Mm -hmm. Just end the game, be done with it. Eli Drinkwitz came out passing, passed on first down, (laughs) passed on second down, passed Mm -hmm. on third down, then kept on passing from there. And they passed all their way down the field and scored a touchdown to end the game. Yep. There's something to that. There, there's a little bit of a mentality that comes from that that I do appreciate. 
and it's a small thing, like you just said about the penalties, but it does matter, and I do think it builds a little bit of a culture as well. In games like this, we are going to fight until the final whistle, and that's exactly what they did against Alabama, and I think that's impressive. You know how I know that's the right thing to do? Saban didn't give a crap about it. Saban's always complaining about how younger coaches run things. or like, is this what we want football to be? Is this what we... He respected it. They met at midfield. They did the little fist bump, had a couple words. No issues with it. So you know that was the right choice. You know that was the right thing to do. And I, I agree. I'm very glad he did it. Most other previous Missouri staffs would have just called it a game. And he didn't. They kept fighting. Final thing on this one. I've mentioned it a few times. I do have a piece that is up on rockgamenation.com about Jalen Knox and his usage. Uh, to just kind of give a little bit of a teaser here and not dive too much into it. Basically, what Eli Drinkwitz did is he manufactured touches all day long for Jalen Knox. He put him in the slot. That was almost exclusively where he played. He was going in pre-snap motion all the time. Yeah. It was orbit motion. It was jet sweep motion. It was all kinds of different motions. And he was trying to find ways to get him matched up on corners that were coming from one side of the formation to the other. There was one time, his first touch of the game, we mentioned this on Saturday night in our show, uh, he was able to get Knox matched up one-on-one against Dylan Moses, a linebacker for Alabama, which typically you don't want anybody lined up against <laughs> Dylan Moses. But when when Jalen Knox is already going in motion and he's at full speed going behind the line of scrimmage and Moses has been held steady because or he, he like takes a false step to the wrong side, because Mizzou's running play action to the other direction, well, that's exactly the scenario where you want somebody matched up against him. And that's what they did on his first touch. Um, He did a really good job of getting involved in the screen game. You mentioned one of them where he had like a 14-yard play that was just beautiful down the uh, sideline. A great, great setup. They had Robinson flowing one way with the entire offense flowing that way, and then they threw it back to the other side where Jalen Knox was. It was called back by penalty, but... It was a great play design nonetheless. Mm-hmm. The only thing that didn't work was his usage in the running game. And the yeah. reason why it didn't work is because it was jet sweeps where he's going sideline to sideline and Alabama's defense is just too fast. They have unbelievable safeties. They do not miss tackles. And it's just not going to work against that defense. It will work against teams that they go up against in the future. And you have to give those you have to give some of those handoffs to Knox. Otherwise the jet sweep motions lose their effectiveness they'll just ignore it eventually if you're never going to give it to that fly sweep so that's why they have to continue doing that they did it twice in the game it didn't work either time to him but it will work in the future and some of the stuff that they were doing for him made me really optimistic for Jalen Knox's outlook for the rest of the year yeah it's it's kind of like Tavon Austin at West Virginia maybe a slower taller version of Tavon Austin um, if you don't remember Tavon Austin, he was drafted by the Rams in 2013. Um, kind of a smaller guy, but super fast. And he would typically line up in the slot for West Virginia and do these jet sweeps. Um, I think what they ended up doing was like these little touch passes. Do you remember this when like the quarterback would barely hold it and just like push it towards yeah. him and they called him a pass? Um, Tavon Austin made just feasted on defenses on the edge with that. It, but he didn't play Alabama. <laughs> um, Alabama's too big, too fast. But, yeah, you're right. This The scheme, the idea is the same thing. And you can make a lot of money, a lot of easy yards doing that um, and draw a lot of eyes that way to open up a lot of different things. You know, we always talk about running the touchdown play. Guys, to set up the touchdown play, you got to set up 
a layer of expectations for a defense to train their eyes to look somewhere. And then somewhere down the line, make those eyes follow like you usually do and then flip it somewhere else. And that's what that motion is good for. That's what that's what Jalen Knox is going to be good for. And, and it's not going to work against Alabama, but it is going to work long term for sure. The offense that always comes to mind whenever I think about simplicity that's actually really complicated is the Rams offense in the NFL. Um, Sean McVay is really good at having everything is based on an outside zone. Everything. Everything that they do. And what I mean by that is basically, so you, there's there's zone and there's gap and power schemes up front for the offensive line. Zone means that everybody's basically blocking to whether it be the right side or the left side, and you all kind of move as a unit to explain this a little bit. And then the running back goes behind them, and it's typically your off-tackle play is what you're going to see there. So that's what everything is based off of, and they run that, and they run it, and they run it. But then they add play-action elements to that. And maybe on one, you're going to have a bootleg from your quarterback going to the other side, and now you've got the wide receivers going out in routes. And then you add on a throwback to the other running back going the other direction. And there's, there's a million different variations that you could have off of that one play. But it all starts with that one play. And that's kind of what Mizzou's doing with these, whether it be the jet sweep motion or whatever it is that you want to hone in on from that game. It starts with that, and then they add on things from there. So what you saw in week one, that's the foundation of what this Eli Drinkwitz offense is going to be by week 10. You're going to see more and new and different elements added to that, but that's the starting point of where we are right now. That zone run, that's what uh, the Daniel Parker Jr. drop in the, in the red zone. That's what that was. Everybody was moving left. He was going with the flow and then just quickly turned right. And if I think it was Dylan Moses. If he didn't have his stupid face right there, that would have been a walk-in touchdown. But uh, Robinson had a sign arbit, and even then Parker almost had it. He just dropped it. But that's that's a good Missouri example of what you're just talking about there. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, it's not going to work against Alabama. That's why Tyler Beatty was run up the middle three times. Like, Beatty's not going to beat anybody to the outside no matter how good he is, uh, at least not at Alabama. So a lot of interesting stuff. And this is this is why these are the wins we're looking for. You get to see concepts. You get to see the schemes. And the potential of what it could be, you're just doing it against the best opponent that Missouri's going to see in quite some time. So that's okay. By the way, that tight end, um, that, that little slip out mm-hmm. that you're talking about, that that's the same idea that the the tight end slipping out to the right actually earlier in the game remember you referenced that uh Jalen Knox screen it's yes. the same thing oh yeah it, it's it's a different play mm-hmm. because on that one you had Jalen Knox who stood over on the left side of the line and then you moved the entire offensive line out in front of him and he had all of them blocking out so he had green grass in front of him but the tight ends chipped inside and then they released outside to be able to be an outlet for the quarterback That sets up the Mm -hmm. goal line play. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing, different play, and that's where the defense, it's same concepts, but then at the goal line, they ended up using it a different way. So that's that's kind of what you're getting at there. They have multiple ways that they can use the exact same concepts. Football's fun. It can be be smart stuff too. It's it's tough to understand at times, and I can't tell you how many times I've needed uh, Coach Bussin to like, hold my hand and show me exactly what he's talking about when he's talking about the schemes and stuff. But like you can do a lot of cool, fun stuff. And that's, that's part of the fun. If you can kind of start knowing what to look for uh, mm-hmm. of watching these games, because there's a lot of cool stuff that these guys do. So, and Drinkwitz has a lot of cool stuff. Like what he does. we saw in week one, he's, he's got some stuff here that it's going to work. It's going to work. There, there's going to be games where it looks really, really good. This was not that game, but it, it is going to eventually, um, I'll be interested to see how much of it can work against this Tennessee defense. Yeah. 
And we are, uh, we do get to have another guest on the show today, uh, Terry Lambert from Rocky Top Talk. Uh, got to join me earlier today for an interview talking about the volunteers. So we are going to hit that now. All right, Zoo fans, we are joined today by Terry Lambert, who is the editor-in-chief of Rocky Top Talk, Tennessee's podcast for all things volunteer sports. Terry, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you, Nate? I'm doing excellent, and I kind of think that you might be doing excellent just so much that uh, you're still walking off that uh, last-second by-your-teeth win over South Carolina um, tell me about the the game there. It seemed like you guys had it in hand, and then uh, South Carolina starts storming back. What the heck happened? Yeah, the, the South Carolina games are always weird. I, I don't really know why. Um, but you know, it, it with this era, we've got this this whole year uh, with the COVID stuff. Um, you know, Tennessee had multiple players out. You've you've got freshmen starting. Didn't know really what you were going to get. So Tennessee gets in this early. 7-0 hole. Uh, things are looking bleak. Uh, then they get a pick six, and then uh, the offense wakes up, and everything looks great. And then they fall apart in, in the fourth <laughs> quarter. And uh, so, uh, starting a, a lot of a lot of youth there mm-hmm. um, with without a spring practice, uh, without you know the typical summer with a, a modified fall with, with guys in quarantine. Uh, nobody knew what to expect, but. I will say um, Tennessee kind of built off of this thing that they built last season, which was just finding ways to win football games down the stretch. Um, believe it or not, that's their seventh victory in a row. That's incredible. Uh, so I, I know that there's not a lot of uh, top 25 wins in there, but um, just just for this program to start figuring out how to win ball games late, um, the, the ball just seems to bounce their way in the mm-hmm. fourth quarter. And, uh, that's just not something that happened very often in, uh, 17 or 18. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously you, you do have your, your stars or your names, at least Jared Garantano, uh, Henry To'o, To'o. I, I saw, was it 11 freshmen who were on the field at some point during that game? Yes. Tennessee is, is big on this freshman class. Uh, they ended up top 10 in the country. Um, actually ended up starting a, a few of them, uh, Danico Slaughter at, at, at the star position, the, basically the nickelback, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Sean Schamberger, a veteran, uh, one of the leaders on this team was out, uh, due to being in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you, you know, you start, you start a bunch of guys like that. You had, you had freshmen playing on the offensive line that really weren't expected to play. You had freshmen playing at receiver. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure as the same as Missouri, mm-hmm. It's just kind of stringing things along, seeing what happens. You're going to get some game day surprises, uh, but but this this freshman class, um, Jeremy Pruitt is recruiting at a very high level. Uh, Tennessee's currently sitting with another top ten class, so mm-hmm. got another couple of those to go before Tennessee can get on the level of Georgia, LSU, Alabama, but certainly trending in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, just overall, I mean, obviously recruiting is the lifeblood of, of college football, and Pruitt's done a very good job of that. He learned from from the best. But, I mean, overall, I mean, for the amount of years that you've had Pruitt, it's not all that long. Uh, are you still feeling good? or some Are there things where you're like, yep, this is just going to suck as long as we have Pruitt? <laughs> or, or do you think he's developing kind of as a coach whole cloth? I think the roster is is really good. 
I think they're being held back by the quarterback position right now. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of frustrating. Um, you know, I, I, we'll kind of dive into that later, I'm sure. But um, just just on on Pruitt, the culture uh, of this this team, this program has has completely changed. Um, things really deteriorated under Butch Jones. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure y'all saw from afar j- just the, the weird happenings around mm-hmm. Butch Jones' program, mm-hmm. uh, the, the fights, the weird press conferences, the 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 just cheesy catch lines, you know, um, champions of life and, and whatnot. Uh, there's none of that with Jeremy Pruitt. You know, he's no nonsense. Um, he's the polar opposite of Butch Jones uh, from a schematic standpoint, from a personality standpoint. So. I think it's exactly what Tennessee needed. Just kind of getting back to old school, uh, tough, physical SEC football. This team is a lot bigger, uh, and the locker room just seems to be so much stronger. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Garantano because he is – what is he? He's a, he's a redshirt senior. And, senior senior. Yeah. yeah, and he just – I think Pruitt said at the end – like in his press conference, he said he was he was fine. Which I feel like if there's any word that defines Jared Garantano, it's fine. I actually used it in yep. my preview guys preview for you guys. I was just like, he's fine. He's fine. I understand that if a guy's around long enough and just doesn't ever raise the bar, it gets old. Um, but like who else like who else do you have? Brian Maurer? I mean, he was he's seen the field a couple of times. Like, is is Jared Garantano really the best quarterback that you have? Or are you just kind of waiting this season out with him and then moving on to someone new next year? So it, it's super unfortunate, honestly. Um, Maurer came in and started a couple games last season. Uh, really gave Tennessee a spark. Started the, uh, the, the Georgia game. And Tennessee gives up 14-0 against Georgia, who's favored by like 30 points. Um, immediately just sparks this offense, and Tennessee fans get really excited. Well, not long after that, two straight concussions. Ooh. Jer- Jerry Garantano's back in yeah. the starting lineup. So, that you know, it, it's been it's been that. And, and Maurer's dealing with a hamstring issue. Uh, that We found that out this week. That's why he kind of hasn't been in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, Harrison Bailey, Tennessee signed a five-star quarterback. Harrison Bailey yeah. um, enrolls in January and takes one spring practice and spring is canceled. Um, <laughs> and then he gets to the fall and he's in quarantine for two weeks. Oh no. So, you know, it, it's just been a series of uh, unfortunate events here. And all of that has led us right back to Jerry Garantano. Yeah. Um, which, which you said it perfectly. Jeremy Pruitt said it perfectly. He's fine. That That's what, what I've been saying. He's not going to win on an elite level. I, I mean, I don't know how much more you need to see at this point. Um, just doing the simple things, man. He, he, <laughs> I tweeted during the game, uh, he drops this perfect 30 yard pass right into the bucket touchdown. He'll come out next throw five yards on a drag route and he'll throw it 15 yards over the receiver's <laughs> head. It, it's just yeah. maddeningly frustrating. I think this Tennessee roster is good enough to win the East. Uh, maybe that's controversial to say, mm. but they are so handicapped at the quarterback position, I don't think they can get past the Florida or Georgia. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. You know, you bring in Jim Chaney, who continues to be one of my favorite offensive coordinators, and I thought that he would be able to see the lump of clay uh, that was Jared Carantano in the Tennessee <laughs> offense and, and kind of really improve it. That's what he does. He goes and he makes offenses better with whatever they have. 
And last year it was all passing because he had some tremendous wide receivers. And I think Josh Palmer returns for this year and he's still good. But like, you know, I was looking just kind of perusing the box score of the South Carolina game. And yeah, it's the first game and yeah, things are kind of weird, but like, Ty Chandler gets 13 carries, gets 86 yards. Eric Gray gets 40 on 12. And, like, Josh Palmer does well. And, like, what, Velas Jones, the transfer from USC, five receptions, 29 yards. It just kind of seems like, eh, like, there's just there's not a whole lot going on. How do you feel about your offense under Cheney? And is it just really more of a Garantano problem or just the, the skill position, young skill position problems? Yeah, they're definitely working in some new skill positions. Uh, John Jennings uh, and Marquez Callaway, those are those are two huge losses, uh, two game-breaking receivers that could really get things done, uh, really do it all. Uh, Josh Palmer's great. I, I think he's got a lot of upside. I think he'll play in the NFL. Uh, outside of that, Brandon Johnson is a guy that's been in, in this offense uh, for, I guess, five years now. Um, actually led Tennessee in receiving in 2017, took a redshirt year and is back for a fifth year. So mm-hmm. they've got some experience there. You mentioned Velas Jones Jr. Uh, they're going to work him in the in the short passing game. Um, Tennessee's got a ton of true freshmen that are going to make an impact down the road. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think uh, they're going to make an impact in this game, maybe. Um, but later in the year, I think you'll see those guys with a little more uh, raw athletic ability come into this offense. Um, the, the offense is... is offensive line centered um obviously that took a hit without Cade Mays Cade Mays has been cleared by the NCAA he has not been cleared by the Mm -hmm. SEC yeah um Greg Sankey has come out and said that uh pretty much this rule is in place and he's not going to budge on it so it's frustrating in a sense of eligibility does not count this year and you're still going to hold a kid out yeah uh, and, and keep him off the field so uh, that's an ongoing battle, maybe something to keep in the back of your mind there. But still, this Tennessee offensive line returns five starters uh, without Cade Mays being in the picture. Um, so you're talking about two five-star bookend tackles. Uh, you're talking about five-star uh, Trey Smith in his fourth season uh, and then a fifth-year senior at, at center in Brandon Kennedy. So this offensive line has been there. They've done that. Uh, it's the strength of this team. I think the rushing attack has to take over. Yeah. Um, I think it's got to be the bread and butter for, for Jim Chaney. Um, honestly, a little frustrated with how much Chaney trusted uh, Garantano late in that game. <laughs> I wanted to see him just man up and put a hat on a hat and, and go get four or five yards of carry with, with Chandler and Gray, but uh, certainly didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think going forward, maybe as early as this week, I think Tennessee's got to establish the run game and, and stick with it. Yeah. You know, You've got some great names on the defense, just from a name standpoint. Like Nigel Warrior, maybe one of the greatest <laughs> named defenders great, of yeah. all time, uh, who felt like he was on campus for like 18 years. He's now a Baltimore Raven, if I remember correctly. So uh-huh. um, you lose him, but you got Henry To'o To'o, who's, who's just been awesome. And he had the interception, I think, last week to kind of start building that lead. You know, I, I had my eye on Jalen McCullough. Um, he seemed super disruptive last year. What other names on the defense are kind of making making some splashes, at least in the first uh, in the first game in the fall practices? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, kind of out of nowhere, um, I was really concerned with Tennessee pass rush. Uh, DeAndre Johnson, a senior who had two and a half sacks in 2019, comes out and has two and a half sacks against South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. um, that dude looks looks special. Looks like he's totally transformed. 
Um, you know, Tennessee lost Daryl Taylor, uh, second round pick to the Seahawks. So we were really concerned about that pass rush, but Johnson came in and was just fantastic. Um, so that's a name to know number 13 coming off of the edge. Um, elsewhere, Bryce Thompson, Bryce Thompson is the best mm-hmm. corner on the roster. Yeah. He actually started at safety. Huh. Uh, y- you know, more of that, that shuffling around with the COVID stuff. Uh, Sean Schamberger missed the game. Jalen McCullough was limited in, in week one. So they ended up starting Thompson at safety. And, and that's a little something that, that Tennessee wouldn't have been able to do last year. They wouldn't have been able to do in Pruitt's first season. But now you're getting guys in year three of the system. Um, Tennessee's actually got some continuity, w- w- which is kind of strange to say, considering uh, that I've covered this program for the last four years. Uh, there, there's been nothing... Uh, that stays the same around Knoxville for, for, for too long. So finally, we're, we're getting to a point of where we've got some experience, uh, and, and I think that's going to pay off in, in such a strange year. Uh, but, yeah, DeAndre Johnson, Bryce Thompson, uh, you know, Quavaris Crouch, you can add that mm. to the all-name team there. Yeah, that's a great uh, one. Starting, starting alongside Henry Toto. Uh, Tennessee's got, got some strength at linebacker there now. Uh, I think the front seven is up to snuff with the rest of the SEC and an experienced uh, secondary. So uh, obviously some bumps in the road against South Carolina gave up 140 yards to uh, Shai Smith, uh, South Carolina's receiver. Um, But again, I think that was because of the guys that they had out. Uh, So I think this unit has a lot of upside. Yeah, And Shai Smith is going to get his yards like – that's that's kind of all they have right now, seemingly. Right. So, uh, I get it. That's that's okay. Um, you know, here's the thing, and I I don't know, kind of your take. We might have talked about this last year, but you know, Mizzou, we have a we have a football rival in Kansas. We don't really play him anymore. We have an <laughs> SEC rival in Arkansas, which is no fun because Arkansas sucks. Yeah. <sighs> Are we rivals? Like, I mean, you we go back to these games. It's like one of us is winning by four or less or winning by 20 and putting up like 50 or 60 points. We've had like the weirdest games with, with multiple different types of coaches. Are we, are we rivals? Or can we do that? I, I don't, I don't know if we're there yet. I, I, honestly, they, they seem like non-conference games still. They, they do. And, they do. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's just me being Mr. Vintage SEC or, or whatever, but <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right that every Tennessee Missouri game has been close. And I, I think I told y'all this last time y- y'all really caught Tennessee at just the perfect time. <laughs> I mean, the yeah. worst this program has ever been yeah. was from, you know, the Dewey era to the, the Butch Jones era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tennessee has been down for a decade. Um, right now, I, I would call us maybe emerging, emerging rivals. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes there. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, you think back to what was it, 2012? The the yeah. ridiculous 50 to 40 game. Yeah, that was that was in overtime. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, you're you're right. Tennessee and, and Missouri have always played each other close. Uh, kind of like Tennessee and South Carolina. It's, mm-hmm. it's just this. Uh, happening a lot earlier in the, in the season now so we'll see how <laughs> if that changes things but yeah. um yeah we've had some strange games especially at missouri uh late in the year when it's been really really cold yeah yeah it's gonna be weird to play you guys in like the, the sun's out and like right yeah. <laughs> don't need a you don't need a winter coat uh that's that's very bizarre the coldest the coldest game i've ever been to and i think the coldest game at Faro uh was that 2015 game where you won 19 to 8 
Um, yep. That was one of the coldest I've ever been in my life. That was Gary Pinkle's last. Watch, oh too. yeah, it was Gary Pinkle's <laughs> last game. It was terribly played. It was oh, it's just very bad. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, we've I haven't had a whole lot of experiences with the Tennessee fan base. I don't know if you've had much with Mizzou. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of animos or natural animosity or even rivalry, you know, sports rivalry and animosity. So I don't know. We're just looking. We're just looking for some friends to mutually hate each other once a year and have some fun, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I will say uh, the Conto Martin deal has uh, oh yeah has, has kind of fueled a, a little bit of hate on the basketball side. That's true. So, yeah. so we got that going for us. <laughs> Just whatever we can get, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I was looking at the spreads. I think it's uh, ten right now. Tennessee is favored by ten. Um, we are we are full born cover the spread viewpoint this year where we think we're a great team and we covered the spread against Bama 10 points. Uh, I thought it was going to be about 14. It comes in at 10. How do you feel about the spread there? And uh, does Tennessee, you know, is Tennessee able to beat the spread or do you think it's going to be another one of those close, you know, four point games? Yeah, it was interesting because it opened 13 uh, in some spots and, and got better all the way down to nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I think it's kind of leveled off at 10, but uh, yeah, we were talking kind of before the show. I don't think anyone knows anything about this Missouri team. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's and and you know, you get Bama week one, Bama puts twenty eight on the board and then pulls all their starters. So uh it, it it's really difficult to say. Um but you know, I, I think Tennessee fans are are pretty confident in, in this roster and this experience uh, in the experience on the roster. Uh again on the continuity side of things. Um Tennessee isn't installing a new offense. They aren't installing mm-hmm. a new defense. Year two for both coordinators, year three for Jeremy Pruitt. I think that right off the bat is a massive advantage Agree. Uh, for a team uh, against a team like Missouri, who is obviously has new everything, uh, plenty of roster turnover there. So uh, I, I am confident in Tennessee winning by two scores. Uh, we'll see where the line lands, but I, I think it's going to be something along the lines of a, a 30-20 type game. 30-20. Okay. Wow. We're putting up 20? I'm excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> this this defense, man, I, I'm just not, not so sure they can get the people out of quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's that's just a total wild card this year. Yeah, I hear you. Well, great insight as always, Terry. We appreciate you stopping by, and uh, good luck on Saturday. Yeah, man, anytime. My thanks again to Terry for taking the time uh, with his toddler watching Frozen in the other room. That is an energy I can appreciate and understand. Uh, But yeah, you know, as far as the volunteers go, BK, they are trying to become the next Georgia, the next Alabama. They are recruiting at those levels. Now, granted, just for the past two years instead of the past, you know, five or 20. Um, So the super talented kids are very, very young. And the established guys, your upperclassmen, are like, well, they're, they're the Bush Jones recruits, right? Like the super hyped out of high school that didn't develop. Oh, I wonder if uh, we are familiar with any other coaching staff that uh, that does that. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's kind of a mixed bag. And I know Tennessee actually ended up playing 11 freshmen, like Terry talked about in the interview. So they're trying to get their feet wet quickly. Um, just based off of whatever you saw from them against South Carolina and just your general knowledge, what are your feelings about this game? Cautiously optimistic. Not that Mizzou will win, uh, because I'm not optimistic that they will win. But I'm optimistic that they can make this interesting and that this can be a game where you go into the fourth quarter and it's still a game. 
And that's all I'm asking for. Go into the fourth quarter with me thinking, okay, can Mizzou, if they score on this drive, make it a one-possession game? Does that make sense? Like, go into the fourth quarter down 10 and have the ball. And let's see what that looks like. Let's see what Eli Drinkwitz's offense looks like at that point. That's kind of where I'm at right now because Mizzou shouldn't be significantly worse than South Carolina this season. And South Carolina played Tennessee tough. Now, I'm Mm -hmm. not saying Mizzou's going to be better than South Carolina. They shouldn't be like a significant step back from them. So I, I think this should be a game where you feel pretty good about what you saw at the end. And I would hope it'd be nice if they if they had an opportunity at the end to maybe even potentially win the game. Not expecting it, <laughs> but that would be something really nice to be able to see in this one. And if they were able to do that, it would completely change, in my opinion, the outlook for the rest of the year. Oh, for where sure. On this? Oh, for sure. I mean, God, you know, we've we've talked about um, you know, Missouri being what five, one and five at the end of the first, you know, six game stretch here. Like that is totally possible by the time they get to the bye. If you win Tennessee, Vanderbilt already automatically becomes a lot more likely, mm-hmm. although we can never count on that. Um, and who knows about Kentucky? So it's this is this is a good statement game. Um, I am. Also cautiously optimistic. I'll just flat out say I don't think the Tigers are going to win, um, but I think they can hang with them. It's it's a team that has almost as is relying almost on as much youth as Missouri is now. Tennessee's issues, like Terry said, are more, more COVID and quarantine related. So we're not totally sure when the guys they want to come back come back. Um, but they're playing, you know, they're playing Jarek Garantano, which they do not want to play. Uh, they're only doing that because their five-star quarterbacks in quarantine, and their other quarterback Brian Maurer um, has some health issues. So he's, you know, if he's playing, he can have a couple of good games here and there. But Garantano typically doesn't beat you. So we're automatically looking at Missouri's weakness, which is the secondary. Maybe they have they have an easier time because Garantano isn't all that super great. Um, the secondary and the pass rush, it kind of alleviates a little bit of both of those issues. It me. does. It does. Now, I mean, their running backs are okay, and they still have Josh Palmer, who's awesome last year and is still awesome this year, but it's a smaller list of weapons that the secondary needs to cover. And as long as Jarvis Ware is healthy, I, I feel pretty good about that matchup, like hanging with them. What it really comes down to is you know, Drinkwitz's offense against pretty awesome defense. Now, Tennessee's defense is – um, actually pretty susceptible to the run this year, or at least against South Carolina they were, um, and weren't so great on passing down. So like your second and five, or sorry, second and eight, third and five, um, not as good at that. So I'm kind of sitting here thinking, you know, if, if we can keep the chains moving, right, on the ground with Larry, and if Sean Robinson can connect on some of those plays he was frantically trying to make against Alabama, yeah, I kind of, oh, God, I don't want to say it out loud, but you did, so I will. I think they can hang. I think it could be an interesting game. Uh, if you look at right now Bill Connolly's rankings in terms of the SP Plus numbers, he has Tennessee ranked as the 24th best team in the country right now, um, which is good, but not any sort of, like, world beater. Mizzou, for what it's worth, is ranked number 48 right now. And a lot of that is because of the offensive struggles last week. They are mm-hmm. 103rd offensively. They are 22nd, <laughs> Mizzou is, defensively right now. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tennessee offensively is 52nd, mm-hmm. and defensively they are 12th. So they have a, a good defense. Um, their offense is just okay. 
uh, towards the bottom of Bill Connolly's breakdown this week, he says that Tennessee last week had a 76% win probability against South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So in a typical game, like if you put everything into a vacuum, they would have won by more than the margin was, which was 31 to 27 in that one. Mm-hmm. However, I think they went like one for 12 on third down and that completely changes everything. It was so you're one bad. for 12 on third down and oh for one on fourth down. Those are basically turnovers where you're giving the ball back consistently to South Carolina. And that's where Mizzou has to be really good. They've, they've got to get Tennessee's offense off the field. They've got to force those punts. And if they're able to do that, and this defense is as good as I think it potentially can be, especially up the middle, they're going to be in this thing late. They're going to be into the, they're, they're going to be in this game going into the fourth quarter. And if you can do that, I think that's the optimism you need. That's the, that that's the, it's, maybe it won't be an upset, but that's the, the type <laughs> of a game that you need for Mizzou fans to kind of get behind Eli Drinkwitz. They need yeah. a they need a big win. Yeah, it's it's something that was lacking from Barry Odom's resume. Mm-hmm. He never really got it. Um, I remember Purdue. They hired their new head coach the same year as Barry Odom was hired at Mizzou, mm-hmm. and Purdue got a big win early in that Jeff Brom era, and it was like, oh, Purdue's on the right path. Yeah. And then around that same time, Iowa State, big win for them. They have have these big upsets with Matt Campbell. And it's like, oh, okay, this is going to work out for them. Now, neither of those teams have, like, taken off since then necessarily, but they've been good. And that Um, narrative has stuck. Absolutely. And so you feel like they're on the right trajectory. Barry never had that. And once you don't get there after two or three years, you feel like you're stuck in the mud. And so that's something that Eli... I think kind of needs this year is to pull off one of those upsets, pull off an upset at one of these games this year. And if he can do that, I think Mizzou fans are going to buy in. And we all know that's, that's pretty valuable around here because if Mizzou (laughs) fans aren't buying in, that means they're not buying tickets. They're they're not watching the game. There's not energy around the program. And that's the Mm -hmm. entire reason why Eli Drinkwitz was hired to begin with. Exactly. I do have some hesitations about, Missouri success here and, and and most okay all of it is stemming from the South Carolina game which is danger 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 I know it's only one game but it's all we have to go off of so South Carolina fell down 21 to 7 pretty quickly and worked their way back two ways number one just a punishingly efficient ground game they were just matriculating down the field handoff 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 it is a Mike Bobo offense so that's what you can expect but Colin Hill their quarterback hitting deep shots to Shy Smith. You all remember Shy Smith. He's been in South Carolina for 20 years. Um, he got like 100 and I forget. It was, it was like over 150 yards or something like that by taking off the top of the Tennessee Tennessee defense. Sean Robinson threw the ball deep twice, maybe three times. Everything was quick dump outs. Now, part of that was the pass rush. Part of that was the the cloud scheme that Saban defenses use and, and just completely suffocate all passing passing routes and don't give you enough time to hit the deep stuff. I understand that. But we haven't seen a lot of it, and that's how Colin Hill was able to take advantage of the Tennessee defense. So until we see it, it's kind of tough to assume that it's going to happen. That would mean Damon Hazleton going deep. That would mean Kiki Chisholm going up top and out jumping his defender. Like That's what we need to see, and we didn't see it last week. So... I think Larry can feast. He's hungry. He certainly ran angry as hell, so I don't feel bad about that one. I just wonder if Sean and the receiving core can take advantage of the deep ball uh, like South Carolina could. Yeah, and that's going to be a huge 
that's going to be a pivotal situation in this game. They need to be able to connect on some deep shots. And I do think that might be where Kiki Chisholm comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not a 50-yard pass in the air. Maybe it's a 10-yard pass that's a slant route to Kiki Chisholm that he then takes an extra 30 yards, right? It's not your typical quote-unquote big explosive play where it's all going through the air and you're taken off the top of the defense. You'd prefer it to be able to come that way, but... If it is a receiver that gets out in open space and he's able to run for 30, 40 yards, I think Chisholm has that ability. I think Jalen Knox, after what we saw this week, has some of that ability. I think Larry Roundtree can do some of that in the running game. I think you might be able to see another wheel route this week with Tyler Beatty. <laughs> wheel route. <laughs> Those, those are the types of things where try to make the game a little bit easier for Sean Robinson. And I think that's going to be the goal for Eli Drinkwitz this year, or this week, but this year as well. Make it easy for him. Try to find some shot plays whenever they're there for you. But in general, I, I don't know that Sean Robinson's going to take advantage of that all that often this season. And if that's not going to yeah. happen, you got to manufacture some. Yeah. Well, Kiki's built to bounce off a couple corners and, yeah, run it 10 yards down the field. Mm-hmm. Denario was really good at doing that. Uh, DGB was pretty good at doing that too. So that's the kind of receiver that you want. Marcus Lucas was also a big bodied guy. So that's what you'd want from those types of receivers. And yeah, even if it is just a, you know, three yards down the field, a little hitch and go like, you know, you can big receivers can make a couple plays and push some fools into the ground and, and get that done. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it should be a good game regardless. Uh, you know, I think we mentioned this, uh, well, I know I mentioned it in the interview and I think we mentioned it last week. Like when Missouri and Tennessee play, you either win by four or 40. Like there's no, there's no in between. So I kind of feel like this will be another close game. Like I don't think we got another 50 to 17 cooking in the, uh, in the back room here. Um, but I think we're going to be entertained and I certainly hope that Missouri can execute, um, with the same enthusiasm, but with a little bit more success than what they had against Alabama. And for what it's worth, uh, Tennessee opened as a 10-point favorite against Mizzou that has climbed, as of the recording of this, to 11.5. What? Uh, according to the spread.com, 79%, so nearly 80% of the bets in terms of the tickets are coming in on Tennessee. So the number of bets placed, 80% of them are coming in on Tennessee. That's not the money, but it is the number of bets and the fact that they have up to that spread from 10 to 11 and a half would certainly indicate the money is coming in on that side as well. So in terms of the Vegas action right now, people see this as Tennessee um, being the clear favorite going into this weekend. Uh, I, I always am hesitant on Tennessee. I yep. always think they're a little overrated going into the year compared to what people would like to believe. And more often than not, I'm right about that. I, I, I have a feeling this one's going to be closer later than people are expecting. I think I would probably take Mizzou to cover that 11.5 point spread. Same. Gosh, if it's 11.5, I'd take the under no problem. I don't think this is a Tennessee team built to (laughs) outscore their opponents by two touchdowns. I really don't. Uh, Unless they're getting kids back from COVID that I don't don't know about. Um, But even then, most of those guys are freshmen. (laughs) Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Slam the under, baby. Make that money. Um, remember, great teams cover. So I, th- I think that's where we're going to be. Um, damn, 11 points. Yeah. If I had some extra cash, I might I might actually play that. Jeez. 
That sounds great. The other thing, and this is this is super flimsy analysis because it's always the case, right? Like you always have to limit the penalties, the turnovers, and you want to make sure you play well <laughs> in special teams. I know, I know, but I've got to say it out front because that is, those are the things that Mizzou has to do because it's the things that they did not do well under the previous coaching staff in these sorts of games. You cannot turn the ball over. You need to force some turnovers because you're the underdog. You got to limit the penalties in this game and play clean on special teams. I don't need you to make big plays on special teams. Like, if you come up with a fumble or something, great, but that's not necessary. Just make sure they're not having these explosive plays in the punt or the kick return game. Don't get any punts blocked. Don't be out there kicking the ball out of bounds, giving them a good field position. Like, just just play clean on special teams. Play a clean game offensively, and I think Mizzou's going to have a shot down the stretch. I mean, other than the Barrett Bannister trying to catch it with his face, special teams are actually pretty dang good against Alabama. When you have a designated special teams coach, I bet you that helps. Isn't that crazy? Hmm. Isn't that absolutely crazy? <sighs> well, I'm not – yeah, for like the first time in a long time, I am not worried about special teams, um, which is the kiss of death, I know. But We didn't talk about the kicker. Our thicker? <laughs> Did you see that Harrison Mavis's mom, I think, retweeted the article or the um, MV3 where we called him the thicker? Really? Yeah. That's awesome. So I, I think it's going to stick. Um, I know Josh uh, Matico was calling him young Jenikowski, but uh, I think thicker is going to kick, man. That dude uh, has got some monster thighs. Did we know this coming in? Were we aware of this? I knew he was – well, <laughs> I knew he was six foot 220. I was like, that seems big, but – Knowing that something's big and seeing that someone is big is quite a different thing. Like that is that is an absolute wagon he is dragging behind him. And I don't I did not anticipate that. He's a totally different version of Corey Patoni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like oh Corey Patoni was fun to watch because that dude just got into the weight room from like the moment that he arrived on Mizzou's campus and never left. Like he <laughs> ate, slept, right. and drank in there. Uh yeah. Mavis is he is an interesting kicker that I have not seen much of in college football. He was effective, though, so I, I'll give him that, man. He looked good. I Look, we all had to not suffer because that's, that's being very, very hyperbolic, but we all went through the Tucker McCann years where a ball could be kicked you know, 10 yards away and it goes straight into the stands, or it could be nailed right through the middle you know, 65 yards away. Um, I'm just glad that he was straight down the middle, room to spare, consistent, right? Like that's, that's all I want. Uh, do you remember Randy Bullock, by yeah, the way? He's still from in the Texas NFL. A&M. Is he really? Yeah. Randy Bullock is a stout young man. Now he's, he's 205 and he's 5'9". Um, Harrison is six foot, but you know, an extra 15 pounds. So that's what he, that's who he reminded me of. Just, uh. A portly gentleman who can just rock the football with his foot like that. I love it. I it love was it. such a pleasant surprise. Maybe more pleasant than any other surprise from that game on Saturday. <laughs> like, I loved really watching was. the different concepts from Eli Drinkwitz's offense. I love being able to see Jalen Knox revived. I love seeing all of these different things. Seeing Mizzou's kicker walk out onto the field and saying, hold on, that's the kicker? <laughs> that, <laughs> that was maybe my favorite moment in the game. Oh, oh, scheme. Holy cow. What did you think of the 3-4-4-2-5 mashup? For anybody who didn't recognize it, basically the 3-4 
concept is that they put three defensive tackles on the line. Mm -hmm. They line up Trey Williams on the other, and then basically it was either Martez Manuel or Devin Nicholson who would line up on the other outside. So it was like it was using four uh, four two five personnel in a three four scheme, and that's how they pulled it off. What did you What did you think of that? I okay. think that I have more respect today for Ryan Walters as a defensive coordinator than I ever did before, and here's why. Mizzou has a very clear and distinct weakness on its defense in terms of the personnel that it has. And it's a defensive end. They have none. And so what does Mizzou decide to do in order to overcome that clear deficiency? Well, they say to themselves as a defensive staff, where do we have a surplus? What are we really good at? What position? Where do we have great personnel? They have really great safeties, and they've got a lot of them. And they have really great defensive tackles, and they've got a lot of them. So what do they do? They put more safeties and defensive tackles on the field and fewer defensive ends on the field, and that's the way that they're going to make this thing work this year. Hell yeah. That's smart. Like, use the personnel to the best of their abilities. That is the job as a coach. And Mizzou right now has an offensive coordinator slash head coach who seems to be doing that. He saw that Jalen Knox was completely misused last year. He put him in the slot, and he's going to utilize him the correct way this year. Same thing on the defensive side of the ball. Ryan Walters saw what he has, decided this is the way that we can utilize the guys that we have to the best of their abilities. And I think it's a really smart way to use it. What do you think? I thought it was great. Same thing. It's 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 it it smacked of something I would do in the in the video game, mm-hmm. right? Where I'd transfer, you know, oh, I got 18 defensive tackles. Well, I'm going to pop a few in defensive <laughs> end. Huh? Like, like you don't even think about it. You don't even think about it because uh, there's no pressure on you because it's, it's a stupid game. I love the fact that they're willing to try. And I hope it's not just a product of, you know, 2020 is weird and doesn't really count. I hope it's a product of, like, this is how these guys actually think and operate for real. Because you didn't see Walters do that last year. But then again, he had to share kind of D.C. I was about to know, say, call. was that Walters' defense? Not Did really. It was, it was? It was I think it was mostly Odoms. Odoms. Yeah. It was Odoms, yeah. So I, I, I like the move. I, th- I think it was a smart move. Uh, yeah, put your best guys out on the field. End of story. Like, this isn't the NFL. You can do these crazy things, and I'm glad that he's doing it. I'm, I was very impressed, and I think, I think it is. I'm not gonna. I don't want to give 100% credit to Drinkwitz, okay? But I think his influence is helping. Oh, look, hey, my my boss is using existing pieces like we haven't before. Let me see if I can do the same thing, and he did, and I love it. And he also, I mean, he he's willing to start a true freshman at corner. Yeah. Not all coaches are willing to do that. And he came out and said, listen, Enos Rakestraw earned that job. He earned it. Mm-hmm. He was the best corner in camp, or at least the second best corner in camp. And so he <laughs> earned the job to be able to be a starter alongside Jarvis Ware. Yeah. That that shows me something, too. Whenever you're willing to play the best guys, regardless of how old they are, what position they are, you find a way to make it work and you utilize their talents in a way that puts their best film on tape. That's that, that's pretty impressive. And so, again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we're talking about sure. a team that just lost a game and was down at one point, 28 <laughs> to three. Like they, they got yeah. blown out by Alabama for any if, yeah. when, when the game was still in in any sort of question. Alabama dominated. Um, yes. So we're making all of these observations based on that game. But just like we said, going in, there are certain things that you can take away from that game. It's utilization of personnel. It's trying to project what this looks like going forward. And that's the type of thing with the defense where they're using the right personnel 
You can project that in the future. You can project the way that they used Jalen Knox in that game. You can project what they did with Sean Robinson at quarterback and Larry Roundtree at running back. Those are the types of things that you can take even from a blowout loss. And that's what you got to be looking for. Young team, new staff. This is what you look for. So I'm encouraged. We're not winning games. I understand that, but I'm encouraged. And that's that's all I really need for 2020. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit of encouragement, man. Yeah, just get me excited to watch Mizzou football again. Yeah, really, that's it's been a while. It's been a while. So let's let's make it happen. Uh, any other thoughts? Trying to think here. Um, I, I I think that's pretty much everything that I had. Um, oh, let let's do this really quickly. Last thing before we get out mm. of here, because you've watched this game. I think you said seven hundred and sixty-five times. Approximately. So, yeah. Let's. You said after the game you were more impressed with the offensive line than you expected to be. Yes. On rewatch, how do you feel about the offensive line's performance? Um, part of this is muddied by the <laughs> pro football focus grades that you shared with me. I know their their grades are a little suspect. Um, I thought honestly that the pass rush or the pass protection, given the opponent and given the quality of the guys that we have right now. It's pretty dang good. I understand they gave up three sacks, technically four. One was called back for a uh, for a defensive holding, um, but Zeke Powell only let two guys through, and like he had a couple of times when he was pushed up into Sean Robinson's butt, but like overall he he mostly held his own. Mike Maietti, he was having the best time of his life. <laughs> like it looked like he was laughing every time we got a, like a close up on him. He just seemed to be having so much fun. And he also blocked really, really well. He had one very stupid miss call. Uh, I think he let Dylan Moses or Christian Harris. I think he let Christian Harris right up the middle into into Sean Robinson's grill. So that was not great. But he really locked it down. Xavier Delgado wasn't super strong in pass protection, but he was a beast in the run. And Case Cook, I never noticed. He and Bourne, I just work. never even noticed. So you know what, man? That's that's kind of what you would expect from from a guard, certainly, and then a tackle to a certain extent. Yeah, they let a couple guys through, but really most of those uh, negative plays that Sean Robinson got himself into was because he just held the ball too long and started running around and running into pressure. So I was pleasantly surprised by the offensive line. I'm not saying it's going to be the same game to game because progress is never linear, but it was a good showing given the opponent. I want to see it this weekend. Um, that That's probably in terms of offensively. There are two things I think that I'm watching most closely this weekend. It's the offensive line play, both in the running game and in the pass protection, and then how they get Kiki Chisholm involved. Those are probably the yeah. top two things going into this weekend that I'm most interested in seeing offensively. Yeah. And uh, like Terry said in the in the interview, DeAndre Johnson, uh, two and a half sacks last year after have, or last game after having two and a half sacks his entire career. We'll see if uh he keeps that up against the tackles. So should be another good matchup. Uh, those Tennessee boys are very well ranked along the defensive line, and they got some experience. So it'll be good, man. It'll be good. Where are you going to watch the game? At home. Um, I am just going to be sitting on the couch, same place that I watched the Chiefs game last night, same place that I watched the Mizzou game last week. Where are you going to be at? Uh, I'm going to be in my daughter's room making sure that she takes the full two-hour nap um with my ipad i love it so, i love it so i will be quietly fist pumping to whatever good news we have and quietly kicking um her stuffed animals if they if they 
blow something stupid. So. Well, hopefully we get to talk to each other Saturday afternoon slash evening with a win in hand. How about that? I'll take that. And I'm sure you guys will take it too. Thank you for tuning in, Rocket Nation. That's the show for today. We appreciate the downloads. We appreciate any subscriptions you can throw our way. Please leave a comment. Love comments. You can rate us as well. Five stars are the best, but you can leave us whatever you want. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Uh, and, of course, you can follow the Rock and Flagship at Rock M Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.